This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! And it's in the ball! Every story. So we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys. It's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. This is going to be easy today. Like yesterday, doing my radio show, I had the easiest prep on the planet because we have a game to talk about. We do. That's it's crazy. It's time. Yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm excited. I know, you know, it's just, it's kind of like one of those things where. You know, you build up and you build up to Christmas. You know, I mean, when you were a kid, it's Christmas. Yeah, I mean, like you, you know, you're sitting there counting down. Thanksgiving comes. You're like, okay, the next one's Christmas, and then you know, next thing it's <laughs> December first. You're like, now we're in December. I mean, here we are. We're we are. Uh, we're on Christmas Eve, just about. Yeah, I mean, Santa, yeah. Santa Claus has a thing for Cuban coffee. <laughs> uh, ducks going to Jerry World, Oregon, Auburn. I'm I'm so intrigued by this yeah. because I see all the comments on Scoop Duck. People think it's going to be like seventy to nothing. Right. Ducks win in a blowout. Right. You know, stamp your ticket to the college football playoff. And then there's other groups in the duck sphere that oh, we don't have a receiver. Right. We don't have a, a corner. Right. This game's going to be a bloodbath. Right. Where do you stand? I uh, you know I I hate absolutely hate it and I and I I'm going to say it I'm going to do it because it's the truth, but I'm right in the middle. I, I just you know the uh, as we lead up to the game, you know you're you're that's the funny thing about this. Your emotions, your mental state, everything changes. So maybe let's just rewind back to June or July. Mm-hmm. You know, spring ball's done, and you think, oh man, this team looks pretty good. You know, Micah Pittman came in; he's feeling good. And you get a, a certain kind of sense of where you're feeling. You know, Auburn's going to have a new quarterback. You, gotta, you know, you start, you get really optimistic. Right. And then it starts getting closer, and the little line starts coming down a little bit and a little bit more. And then Micah Pittman gets hurt and Schooler gets hurt. And, you know, you, suddenly people start talking Auburn up a little bit more. You see the rankings, just all these things creep into your mind. It's funny how it changes. And it changes for me. It's not like I started out you know, in January and said, Oh, Oregon's going to smash Auburn period. Here we go. Right. I'm riding that. No, you know, just, it's this fluid thing that goes up and down. And, you know, you talk to guys like Dave Bartu of, you know, CFB matrix. And, you know, we talked to Yogi Roth and we, we talked to all these people and you gather and you just, you know what I mean? You take it in, you think about, you know, we had James duty doing some really good previews of the game on scoop duck. I mean, you, you just, you're trying to ingest as much as you can, an outcome. So I guess to answer your question, that was a really long way to get to this, but I just think it's going to be a close game. And I, I think it's, I don't think, I don't think this game will be indicative of how good I believe Oregon football can be by the end of this year. Oh, no way. Yeah. No first, way. first game, yeah. you know, a lot at stake. Auburn's going to be very good. They have, they have obviously a very good defensive line, as we know. I think they'll be a little better offensively than most people are going to give them credit for. Tremendous first test, tremendously tough game, win or lose. I just want to see Oregon be competitive. That's it. Mm-hmm. Win or lose, I just want to see them be competitive. Obviously, if they win, that's a bonus. If they lose, okay, why did they lose? How did they lose? Should we be alarmed? Was the offensive line atrocious? Did Herbert throw four picks? What led to the loss? 
you know, and that's where we'll go from there. So I just hope, I just hope that there might be, even if there's just two scoop duck readers that hear that and think, okay, if Oregon loses, I'm not going to jump off the bridge at, after the game mm-hmm. and go say that we're going 0-12. That, that's my <laughs> only goal. This is like the crisis hotline. If I can save one scoop ducker, we've succeeded. But right. no, Oregon can lose and I can live with it. It's just going to be a matter of, of how they lose. But we'll get we'll get more we'll get into that game we got a lot to talk about a lot that, to yeah. talk about we can go all over the game board week sucker. baby we get to break it all down uh we get to also pick our five games in college football that might be my favorite bit that we did last year i do enjoy that and lock it in where we make a ducks prediction yep and then a great guest on tap today man you've been killing it with our guest rotation the last couple of weeks Yogi Roth. Yeah, yeah, really excited. I know that we had Yogi on, I think, last month or so, last four or five, six podcasts, can't remember. But, uh, you know, Yogi, if you don't know, obviously does a lot with the Pac-12 Network. Uh, Just a tremendous football mind is the way, and and a very good analyst. And the best part is in the last week or so, he's gone around to most of the Pac-12 programs, if not all, and had a chance to see them practice in person, talk to coaches, and and really get an understanding of, you know, where those teams are at very late in fall camp. So right. I, I wanted to bring him out, not so much to talk about Oregon, Auburn, but hey, what are you seeing out there? Who surprised you? Is Utah legit? What did you see? You know, I just, I think fans want to hear that. I want right. to hear it. You right. Know. No, I, I mean, there's we, we bring up these questions every week. Is USC going to suck this year? Are right. Utah for real? What do you make of Arizona right. after a crazy game right. out there on the island? I mean, just there's a lot that goes on in the Pac-12. And I look at it from this angle. When I talk to coaches, they are very mum. They're very cold with sure, me because sure. I'm the radio guy and they don't want to embarrass themselves or, or knock their program, anything like that. But if I go to practice and I watch their practice and I watch their team drill and I take the time to, to sit through everything with those coaches for two or three hours like yeah. Yogi did last week. Right. All of a sudden, those coaches open up sure. and they're, they're way more honest with you than they would be in a radio interview or in a media scrum. Yeah. And so Yogi gets an inside, a truly inside perspective right. that a lot of us can't get. And I, I want to pick his brain on that. And, you know, what are the coaches telling you about their teams? Yeah, no, exactly. You're, you're dead on, especially somebody like Yogi, who's built very good, trustful relationships with a lot of these coaches that extend just beyond showing up. You know, they trust him, they believe in him. And he just, he's a very good football mind, you know, uh, maybe not a head coach per se, but he's probably the the best. One thing that I could say is he's like the best uh, go between between a common fan and a head coach. You know how head right. coaches can't always relay things. He's got the Madden thing. Yeah, you know co- some head coaches can't relay things in a way that the normal fan can quite understand. They start saying all these different terminologies, and, and people are like, yeah, okay. I think Yogi <laughs> does a really good job of simplifying it so that. He gets the point across that the coach would want to cross, but in a way that most people can understand. Right. Very good football mind. Um, great person, too. He's a great guy. Terrific guy. I just love having him on the podcast. So, so now I, I, my mind immediately thinks to the depth chart and the stud position yeah. and, and a genuine question of, like, how many fans know what the stud position is? Right. Like, like we might know. Right. I mean, we've talked to Mario, and he's broken it down for us. But, yeah, sometimes... Yeah. 
coach speak doesn't translate to no. the common man. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, so anyways, yeah, Yogi's coming on, and uh, we're going to get him on right away here, probably just in, in a minute or two. Mm-hmm. And then Matt and I will will come back on, uh, kind of review our interview with Yogi, and we'll just we'll just talk football from then on. You know, like you said, we got all, all the fun stuff's back. Yeah. You know, games of the week, lock it in. It's all back. I missed all that stuff. Football, baby. It's all back. And we haven't even we haven't even got to Florida, Miami. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. Right. I gotta pick your brain on that. Yeah. But that's coming up a little bit later. Let's get to Yogi Roth, Pac Twelve Networks. All right. Man of the hour, Yogi Roth, Pac Twelve Networks covering games, doing a lot of great features as well. I think about the interview he had with Justin Herbert during the Duck Spring game. Whole lot of coverage on Pac-12 Network. Yogi, I let's start with those Ducks, and let's ask you, after you visited camp last week and you spoke to the coaches, you saw these players in practice, what was your biggest takeaway? You know, it was kind of the intangibles. I, got, I remember walking out to the uh, buses and they were practicing at an off-site uh, you know, field, kind of getting ready to almost mock game it up for the. And I saw Justin Herbert on the way out, and I was like, "Hey, man, how you doing?" And we're talking, and he just had this moxie to him that I hadn't felt in previous years, which happens with everybody heading into a senior year when they come back for that. Um, it's kind of like how Sam Darnold feels now in the NFL. You know, it's that same age. You know, at that same timing, I really think as much as guys are ready to play earlier, you know, today I was getting ready for our show tonight on the Pac-12 Networks, and thinking back to when it was Terry Wilson and Dakota Prukoff and Travis Johnson and, and, oh, by the way, Justin Herbert. You know, like, guys are ready earlier to play physically, but they still grow the same way, I believe, at least for the most part, generally mentally um, and just emotionally and socially and you know, all those things. And I just felt the guy that was like so in command. And I, I got in the car with, um, you know, the athletic department would give me a ride over to the facility or to the practice field. I'm like, that just felt different, you know? And, and he and I, our relationship's different, you know, as we got to know each other over the years, you reference, but I felt that. And I felt that from the team. When I sat down, you could hear me talk to Troy Dye. I even interviewed Tyler Shuck. And I was like, I want to talk to the guy who's in the room every day with Herbert. And, I just feel that vibe from this team. And Mario Criswell has talked about it a lot. He talked about it on my pod. Of last year, they, they were failing themselves too much when they got winning. And I don't think, I think this team's really focused. And, and they should be, obviously, with week one and the season starting. But it just seems very mature, I guess, is the vibe I got. Good. That's the, uh, I guess that's the logical next step. Uh, Oregon's got a new defensive coordinator, Andy, coordinator, excuse me, Andy Avalos. And, um, you know, what'd you kind of see there defensively from Oregon? I mean, are they flying around a little bit more? You know, we're not looking for you to give it, give anything away, but just what was kind of your takeaway from watching this defense? Um, yeah, I think, they're, I think they're aggressive, you know? I mean, you look at all three layers of their defense, and I think finally they're, 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 they're gaining competitive depth. I don't want to say, period, they have it, because I don't think they do, uh, but they're gaining it, right? So on the front, obviously, Jordan and Austin follow you is kind of the main phase of, and they got some other guys inside that they'll rotate in. You know, you look at the edges. You know, they got the Gus Cam Cumberlander, who's kind of waited his turn, but then obviously you've got, you know, Keon Thibodeau, freak. You know, like you've got some depth, I think is my point. And even a backer, you know, they're no longer just, I mean, a couple of years ago, I forget the JC guy that came in. Um, 
you know, I think he's running 34. And they had to, like, still hold on defense because they just didn't have any linebackers. So I feel like they're gaining that. Secondary for sure. Secondary is real. I thought Javon Holland, uh, I'm going to talk about it on our show. I'm going to talk about it on my broadcast on Saturday on the Pac-12 Networks game. He's going to be kind of the player that a lot of people may not know his name, but I think you're going to know it by the end of the year. He, he was so fun to watch. He just looked the part. Again, another year in the program. So I, I can't wait to watch him. You study Boise State, and you see people that came from that tree, right? It includes excuse me, Justin Wilcox, Marcel Yates, like really creative minds. So I, I'm pumped to watch it against a true freshman uh, in, in Bo Nix as the quarterback at Auburn. Yogi, I love the the Javon Holland praise because I'm probably the world's biggest Javon Holland fan. I just think that kid has, you know, sky's the limit for him. Uh, you went to Oregon. You also visited the rest of the Pac-12 over the last couple weeks, gearing up for the season. And I, I think about an interview you did with Jim Rome a couple weeks ago where you said you thought Utah was the best team in the conference. After all of these trips, do you still feel that way? I do, yeah. I think, no, granted, I didn't, my snippet is a three-hour snippet, right? And everybody's practice is different. So, for instance, when I was in Oregon, it was a fast Friday, I think is what they call it. And, you know, they were kind of just going, you know. It was, it was different than, like, a physical, you know, day five of training camp, you know. Um, but I will say this, I think talent-wise, across the board, they've got the best talent. Uh, he's definitely on defense in every position. You know, he stacked up positions and said, okay, uh, who would you take an interior defensive lineman? You can make an argument for Jay Tefele. You can make an argument for Jordan Scott. You can make an argument, but you'd still take, like, Lucky Fotu is not like you're, you're missing, right? You know, and I do the same thing at linebackers. You know, like, yes, they lost Manny Bowen, but Kevin Lloyd, he probably looks as good as any linebacker as there is in this conference physically. You know, hasn't played, you know, and needs to obviously prove that he can do it, but his ceiling is dramatically high. Secondary, I think, is so big time. Um, I don't know, I'm not sure where they settle down that opposite corner, but you know, they've got depth. So I still think that every starter on defense is going to find their way in the NFL. Some via free agency, some first round picks, but they're real. The way they compete reminded me of SC. And then you just look at the numbers of every team that's gone to the CFP. Uh, has led the country in either yards allowed per rush, total defense, and turnovers forced. And this is Utah, this is what they do. And then you flip the other side, and it's a, it's a question mark. New coordinator, new system, haven't seen it. But before your starter, you know, a quarterback in Huntley, you know, Zach Moss is a beast. You know, I talked to NFL scouts, and they're like, it ain't close to the best running back in the country is in terms of projecting the NFL, at least for some teams. And it's they don't have Akeel Harry, but they've got eight guys. You know, Devon Bailey, I think, is another name that nobody knows now, but they're going to know by the end of the year. 6'5", 230, former walk-on one in a mission. I think he's a beast. You know, so I, I really like this team. You know, it's not an easy road. You know, they, they kick it off against BYU, and historically they've struggled in openers. I've called a bunch of them. But I, I love everything about this team. And I do think they were, they were a hair above. Oregon, UW, SC, Stanford, Wazoo. Um, it wasn't dramatic, but it was enough to say, yeah, I thought through camp they were in a conversation by themselves. Uh, yeah, great great outlook there, Yogi. They're definitely big, physical, strong, well-coached, um, and it probably helps a little bit that they're in the Pac-12 South. 
But what I want to ask you is about three other teams. Uh, you know, I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like there is a, a, a pretty strong group at the top. Oregon, Washington, Stanford, you know, Utah that you mentioned there, that, that's kind of that, that upper group at the moment. But Oregon fans are usually most curious, outside of Oregon, about USC and Washington. And what did you kind of see from those two programs? Um, I, I kind of got the sense that maybe you are a little bit higher on USC than a lot of other people. Um, you know, what might give you that, uh, you know, that, that vote of confidence there? I am, and, and I think I'm higher, I'm higher than everybody outside of L.A. I think if you cover the team or been to spring ball, been there in the summer, been there in camp, interviewed players and coaches, you see a shift. You know, I mean, think of the letter that Lynn Swan wrote that was heavily criticized about the changes that need to be made, and it was, you know, four or five things that were pretty, like, intense. Scheme is personnel, you know, but all of them are addressed. You know, the, the way Clay communicates with the team, the way he's handled discipline, the way, you know, even he manages disciplinary elements within the program is different. The way that they clearly altered their scheme, you know, first time air raid's ever been at FC, right? I think that's a seismic shift that isn't getting enough play in terms of what's going on there with, they got four receivers that I would say would be the number one guy everywhere in the conference, yeah. other than Colorado, because LaVisca Chanel to me is the best player who's not a quarterback in this conference right now. Um, and then you look at personnel. They got rid of a lot of bad dudes, you know, and not to be that guy to blame kids, but, you know, it's the truth. You know, like it wasn't, you know, it doesn't always work out. So they, they made those changes, man, and they made it more competitive, even with the J.T. Daniels thing. I mean, look at Keaton Slovis. You know, there's no world in which you have to name him the backup quarterback because think about it. We all know what, what happens next, but they did it because that's who won the job, you know, as the backup. So, I'm high on them. I think down the middle of their defense, there's, there's, they're better than everybody other than Utah right now. I mean, Jake Tefele, Marlon Tuipolotu, um, Brandon Peely, interior defensive tackle. Pala Ie, now Teote, he's number one middle linebacker. Just follow him when you watch them play Fresno State. I think he's all everything. I think he's, the, I'd argue, he's the best linebacker. He has the highest ceiling at linebacker in this conference. Evan Weaver's proved that he could do it. And Troy Dice proved he could do it, but this dude has got different skill sets than those two guys. You know, safeties, Isaiah Polamau, Alan Olufunga. You know, they're, they're young at corner, but they also have two of the top guys in the country in recruiting. They got three of the top guys the last two years. So they got ability. They almost have a steep learning curve, which is, you know, that's part of the deal. So I, I like them. I get that their schedule is brutal, but it's, it's kind of like the Auburn-Oregon thing. People keep talking about Auburn, and people keep talking about Fresno State and all the teams that SC plays, and we forget that like they have teams too. Like they got to play SC, they got to play Oregon. They're all good teams, you know. So I, I'm high on them. I think they start off. Uh, I don't think they'll go undefeated, but I could see them coming into the UW game with a ton of juice, and uh, and I think they should win all those games heading into that one. And and then who knows? We'll see. You know how both of those teams are developing. How'd you feel watching Washington, Yogi? Oh, good. Yeah. Um, sorry, I forgot that one. I really like them, man. I mean, they're they're the I don't want to say like the Alabama of our conference, but they're like the thing that you can predict the easiest, you know, because you're like they're going to be well coached. Kids are going to love it when it's hard. They're going to be really well developed and identified. Very rarely do they miss in recruiting around kids and their passion for the game, which I think is an undervalued, you know, uh, evaluation element. Right, we look at size and speed and strength and numbers, but 
I think love for the craft is, you know, to me, number one, to be quite honest with you. Uh, and, and I have all those. So, and, and, oh, by the way, they got the best schedule they've ever had under Chris Peterson. I mean, I, they, they could go undefeated. They could have one loss and maybe it's Utah, but that, I think their loss, would, it, would, it would probably come at home. And think about that. They, they haven't lost at home since Sam Donald showed up, you know, a couple years ago. It's 14 games ago, and I'm calling their game on Saturday with Ted Robinson, and I'm calling week three against Hawaii. So I have a ton of intel on these guys, but I love them, man. I think Savon Ahmed is the best athlete on the field other than LaVisca Chenault when he's on the field. What's he going to be like with 25 carries? I can't wait, man. Jacob Easton, like as much as we talk about Jay Kaner, mm. um, and, I'm, and, I, and I'm bummed about that, because uh, I've known both those guys for a long time. Uh, Easton's a beast. He's going to deal. Right. You know, and they're to call what he's comfortable with. You know, he can cut through the wind. He can make throws that nobody's made up there. In a, I don't know when. You know, I, I don't remember what the Heward brothers looked like when they played there. But I'd be hard-pressed to say they look more impressive than Jacob, at least in shorts and a T-shirt. So I can't wait to see what happens there. And, uh, they'll have every opportunity to win the North based on, I think, their schedule. And they kind of get some developmental games, per se. Uh, even though Eastern isn't an easy one, you know they went to the title a year ago, and Hawaii's not easy. We saw what they did Arizona. They won't be walking the park, but they're they're not Auburn week one and minimal area of miscues after a potential loss. Uh, Yogi, I want to get you want to get you going because I know you got a busy schedule today, and we appreciate your time. Uh, while we send you off here, uh, I've got a, a two part question, I guess, if you will. So right now, it would be from what you've seen. Your prediction: Who is playing for a conference championship? And secondly, if it's if it's different than those two, your uh, your dark horse pick right now after seeing everybody in the conference. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Let's go off the fence. I mean, I think I'm going Utah, and the tough one is the UW Oregon thing for me because <laughs> the schedule and the records. Right. You know. Uh, but I, I'm a, I'm old school in who won. Last time they played, you know, you know, even though UW is the defending champs, I'd probably have to go with. And my prediction on paper is UW versus Utah. I think after watching the teams um, and just knowing, you know, 153 returning starts on the O line, even though UW is 107, but all, all those elements, are, I guess I'll go with Oregon. But it's kind of a toss up for me in the North. I think Washington State's better than people think. I think nobody respects Cal. You know, we we think we disrespect Wazoo, but. All Cal's done is own Oregon and Stanford. Or excuse me, all Cal's done is uh, compete extremely well with Washington State. The last two years, split it, beat UW a year ago. You know, like nobody talks about it. And then Wazoo, they, they've owned Oregon and Stanford the last couple of years. So I think they're going to ruin somebody's day. You know, as well Arizona, they'll ruin somebody's day based on just what Khalil will be able to do. But my sleeper would be SC. Uh, I really think. I really think they, they got a chance to do something unique. Again, they get Utah at home, so if they're undefeated, I think they'd be 3-0 and by the time the Utes came in on a Friday night. Uh, that'd be pretty big, you know, coming off a game against BYU, you know, coming off a game against Sanford, coming off, obviously, the opener of Fresno State, settle in. I, I think that's going to score 40 a game. Right. I really do, man. Yeah. Um, can they do it against Utah? Can they handle it when they get punched in the face? Because that's, that's where they were terrible last year. You know, they didn't come back in one game when they were down in the second half on the road to win. If you think about that, and that's like the resiliency factor that uh, I can't wait to watch. And I think they're going to. I don't think they beat Utah, but I do think if I had to pick a sleeper, that's who I'd pick. And, 
And I think even ASU. I think people should think about them. You know, I'm getting ready to be there Thursday night for our pre and post game show and doing my homework. And I'm saying, man, they've got all seniors on the offensive line. They've got one of the best running backs in the country with 300 carries last year. They've got tight end depth, which, by the way, that's going to be my theme, I think, this year in college football. It's a lot of teams have multiple tight ends, including UCLA, who we didn't even talk about. But And they've got a defense that returns pretty much everybody, you know, including the heartbeat of it, which was four freshmen who started last year. Like They're going to be good. You know, They'll be in every game. So I just think this year, we say it every year because we want to pump up our conference, but I don't remember a year when it was legitimate depth. I mean, I saw Jake Luton throw the ball, and he looked better than half the quarterbacks in his conference in terms of dealing. So, what does that mean? You know, like, I just think it's going to be a really fun year, and there's not a week where you're like, oh, I don't want to call one of those games. Like, I can't <laughs> wait to get on the road. And I think it'll be really competitive. Yeah, well, maybe my futures bet on the Bees isn't too bad after all. Uh, <laughs> Yogi Roth, Pac-12 Network, our guest. Yogi, wrapping up, do you have a game you're calling this weekend? Yeah, man. So I, I'm rolling. I'm in San Fran right now. We got a studio show tonight on the Pac-12 Networks. It's a new show, so check it out. It's Mike Cam and I inside Pac-12 football. It's just him and I, and we're gonna nerd out. We're gonna do a ton of cool content. Uh, and then I had the uh, Tempe yeah, pre and post game show for the ASU Kent State game. Kent State game, kind of fun. Uh, their quarterback, who I remember in high school, he's one time commit to Auburn. He's a freaky athlete. Like there'll be some, there'll be some fireworks. Um, and then on Saturday, I got UW at the noon kickoff to kick off your Saturday against Eastern Washington. Nice, nice. Sounds like, I mean, I don't know about you, Yogi. I mean, are, from 0 to 10, are you at like an 11 right now in excitement level? I mean, we're back. Football's back. Yeah, totally, bro. I mean, I'm half a cup of coffee deep. You know, how great is ball? I'm ready to rock. I'm about to walk into the studio literally right now. So I got to come in with some juice and some fire. Got to come in with the juice. Well, he's Yogi Roth. We appreciate your time. And uh, we'll definitely be pumping up the show tonight. Looking forward to that one with, with you and Mikey M later tonight as well. Love it, man. Thanks, fellas. Have a great year. Thanks, Yogi. My big takeaway from that, and this is 2019, this is the, the wild world of college football. USC is a sleeper. Right. Go fit. Yeah. Has USC been a sleeper in 20 years? I mean, labeled ever. a sleeper. Yeah. Have they, have they ever been a yeah. sleeper? Maybe a sleeper for the college football playoff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but not to be good in its own conference. Right. Uh, no, you're, you know, I wanted to ask Yogi this. Uh, and obviously, we ran out of time. He's, he, we appreciate all the time. You know, he told us he had about 15 minutes. I know he went over 20. So we appreciate every minute he gives us. Um, I wanted to ask him, you know, is eight, nine wins enough to cool Clay Helton's seat? And I genuinely wonder that. I mean, oh, that's a great question. Yeah, I mean, because that seems to be, okay, let's say they get to eight wins, which seems plausible based on what he's saying. Right. Um, you know, I think their schedule allows for that. Eight wins isn't great, but, I mean, is, does that save Clay Helton's job? Right. Like, if you got eight wins at San Diego State, you're golden. Sure. But we're talking about USC. Yeah. USC, Notre Dame, Michigan, Bama. The, if you have a good year, it's not good enough. Right. I I really like, uh, I mean, when it comes to quarterback, they're going to have good quarterback play. Um, I'm not the hugest JT Daniels fan out there, but I think he's he's fine. He's serviceable. He's good. Um, but as far as receivers go, they're filthy. Like, he, like, like Yogi said, they have four or five guys that would start anywhere in the conference at you know at any time um you know so at the very least what you do have is you have a good offense matched up with that skill set 
as an offensive line, I don't think they're very good. So if they came in with the Mario Cristobal, let's pound the rock mentality on offense, that's a bad fit in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I don't love the air raid offense overall. It will be fun for USC fans to watch. Uh, I'm sure it will raise some eyebrows because like Yogi said, I agree and have said as much, they'll score 35 to 45 points per game. Mm-hmm. It's a matter of will they be able to limit everyone else from scoring 36 or 46 or more points right. per game. That's going to be the big question mark. So, you know, I, I agree with them. I think USC will end up winning some games. Maybe they shouldn't just because they will outscore people. And those, that receiving core is filthy. It is as good as it gets in this conference. I don't, I don't care who you are. And that is a good use of that personnel with the air raid offense. I don't think the air raid offense – takes USC to the promised land every year, but with offensive line not being their specialty and with their wide receivers being their strong suit, I think it's a great fit for them. So I'm an X's and O's geek. I'm the kind of person that last night I was watching the Pac-12 and 60 little condensed games that they put on the network, and then it fired me up, and I'm somehow on YouTube running into a rabbit hole of 96 Nebraska highlights and Tommy Frazier running the option out of the eye. I love stuff like that. I love thinking about the, like, the strategic aspect of football. And I, I agree with you. The air raid's not perfect. But what I think the air raid can do, and we see Wazoo do this every year, is it stresses the secondary. Yeah, You see why a Mario Cristobal every year is going after four-star and five-star corners and and multiple DBs every year in his recruiting classes because the air raid doesn't attack your number one guy. Right. It attacks your number four guy. Right. And if you don't have that depth in the secondary, say in Oregon State, you're going to give up four touchdowns in a quarter. Yes. uh, Like we saw last year. Or if you don't have the depth in the secondary, um, say Oregon, when they were dealing with injuries at the safety position last year, Wazoo's going to beat you, and now USC can do the same thing. Yeah, your safeties and linebackers are instantly tested. Uh, You know, they have to make split decisions on, you know, whether it's a run or a pass. And then once you've diagnosed that, uh, you know, you heard Mario Cristobal on Monday saying paralysis by analysis. You know, that is when, when, when players have to stop and think, it slows them down. It doesn't. It doesn't matter how fast they are if they have to stop and stand there and you know analyze the play and figure out what's going on. It, it takes a second, second and a half away from them, um, and that neutralizes your speed. Your speed gain there. It really, if you're playing against a team that has a really good defensive line, if you have a good quarterback and you can go four or five wide and get the ball out quick, you are somewhat neutralizing a very good defensive line. And so, you know, I, I'm guessing. I'm going to guess that USC's identified that maybe their offensive line isn't the strongest. JT Daniels does have a good arm and can get the ball out. They're especially strong at receiver. I mean, in my opinion, yeah, you, you, you know, shotgun the ball and get it out in two seconds and just see what happens after that and kind of dink and dunk your way down again. But you're also seeing defenses in the Pac-12, and I think, and I know we'll see it from Morgan, they're putting more DBs on the field than ever. You know, right. you're seeing a ton of nickel. You know, you're, you're, you're seeing that position basically employed full-time now by a number of defenses, and, and you have to. I mean, even Washington, to a degree, you know, had some principles of spreading you out and getting, you know, vertical in that matter. Washington State has done it. I think Cal did it from time to time coming over, you know, Ball Baldwin coming over from Eastern Washington. He's done that there. 
Um, you see a lot of elements of that. And I really, one thing I really like that Yogi said, and I agree wholeheartedly with and include Oregon in this because we saw it on the, on the depth chart release, a lot of teams wanting to use multiple tight ends. Right. And it might not be two tight ends specifically. You could be using a tight end and like a jumbo wide receiver. So you hear, we heard about Spencer Webb, you know, who was a tight end quote unquote, you know, playing some receiver. Well, you're really just utilizing a tight end, you know, out wide, maybe for blocking purposes, maybe just for a mismatch. You toss up the ball and he falls forward for two or three yards. Mm -hmm. Whatever the case might be, you know, that's kind of becoming that new X factor, that new wrinkle in offenses. I think Oregon's going to include it. Um, it and essentially, I mean, you know, Stanford used to do it when they wanted to go big. You know, Stanford used to go big, plug a couple of huge ass tight ends on the line. And next thing you know, they're just pounding forward, pounding forward. You yeah. know, um, if you've got an athletic tight end, like like I'm just using Spencer Webb as an example, you've now got somebody that maybe you put out wide who's a mismatch. You know, if they, if they can catch and run a little bit, it, 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 it helps. So here we go. Pac-12. Right. All kinds of offenses. Right. Players, quarterbacks. I, I agree with Yogi. Here's going to be the here's going to be the crap part. It's a real. I think it's a pretty good year for the Pac-12 overall, just all across the board. Sure, Oregon State's maybe not there. You know, Arizona getting beat by Hawaii just doesn't look great in Week One. I was pretty disappointed in Zona. Right. I, I don't know if you watched the tape of that game, but it was a a clinic on what not to do on defense. Right. And uh, you know, the jury remains out on Kevin Sumlin. In my opinion, I I think he was marginal at Texas A&M and won some games because of tremendous play from Johnny Manziel at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, at Arizona, he's been anything but really to this to this point. And I think also on that note, uh, Rolo, Nick Rolovich at Hawaii, is a very underrated coach. Yeah. I mean, he went down there and inherited an absolute crap team. They, they had a billion turnovers in that game. Yeah. And yet, if you watch the film, there is no moment in that game where it's in doubt for them. Right. They were hands down on tape, on stats. They were the better team. Yeah. He, he's a great coach. And I, I honestly, he inherited a team, you know, much like Jonathan Smith at Oregon State, a team that just had so many holes to fill. And he's had a couple years. And here, next thing you know, they beat a Pac-12 team. And maybe it wasn't a very good Pac-12 team. But you're looking for progress. That's progress. Yeah. So, you know, shout out to Rolo. Uh, Rolo was one of those guys that identified Justin Herbert early. I think he was Herbert's first offer, if I recall correctly. Really? Yeah, he was at Nevada at the time as the OC. But he First had, D1 offer. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, or, or first, yeah. I should say, first D1 bowl offer. Right. Because I think Portland State jumped yeah, in somebody. Yeah, he had a couple of those, I think, you know, like a Harvard and Portland State, whatever. But, yeah, right. you know, your first, you know, FBS level uh, offer. I know it was uh, it was Rolo while he was at Nevada. So he knows he knows quarterbacks a little bit. Wow. Um, anyways, alternate reality. Uh, yeah, no, it is. But yeah, off on a tangent. I, l- I love having Yogi on. I think he did a good job. You know, I think he's a little bit high on higher on Washington. It, it sounded like just from talking to him. Yeah. You know, I I, I, I think that if we're a Ducks pod, mm-hmm. if we were a Husky pod, I think he would have told us Washington. Yeah, it's that that close. It's that close. I agree with him. It's that close. That game this year is going to be insane. I mean, it's just going to be those two teams are going to beat the shit out of each other, Oregon (laughs) and Washington. There's no doubt in my mind that they're both going to show up, you know, juice to the max to play that game. And the fans will Uh, be careful if you're going to that game. I got a feeling it'll be a little bit intense this year up there in Seattle. But uh, 
yeah, it's a it's a great year for the Pac-12 North because, like you said, one of your what what your uh, your fourth, fifth, sixth worst team is Cal. That everybody we've heard two or three times now hype up Cal. Yeah, people are consistently yeah. naming them as as a dark horse. You know, and, and I agree with it. It's nobody talks about Cal. They're just kind of putting together strong little recruiting classes down there, staying enough under the wire. Um, you know, they, they haven't had a lot of coaching turnover, and that kind of stuff helps. Um, you know, they are a strong team. So the North, the Pac-12 North is 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 really really strong this year. If USC and UCLA and ASU are decent in the Pac-12 South, just decent. We know Utah is going to be good. Really, your only outliers at this point is maybe Arizona and Oregon State, right? Not and maybe Colorado. We don't know. Yeah, I mean, first we, year we expect all of that. Yeah, like like I'm I'm with you if. If nine out of twelve teams got better, mm-hmm. that's a great year for the Pac-12. Yeah, if three or four teams in your conference are bad, it doesn't mean your conference is bad. Look at the SEC; they're really carried by the top group, right? And they are. I and mean, even the number eight team in the country is bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you got Alabama and you got Georgia. You you know you've got some. I mean, we watched Florida the other night. They they were they were terrible. Right. I, I like they won that game. They won that game because. Miami had a freshman quarterback, and it was the first game of the season. Right. That's why they won that game. I, I thought the same thing. Of If you have Tate Martell in that final drive, they win that game. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, it's just – and it was tough. That kid had been put on his back. Jaron Williams had been put on his back nine, ten times that game. I don't even know. It was yeah. bad. You know, the Miami's offensive line was terrible. Florida's defensive line is actually pretty good, so it was a terrible match there. Um, I, I just feel like – there were a lot of times that that offensive coordinator Enos of Miami put that quarterback in unwinnable situations. Yeah. If you've got a pass rush coming at you like that, that you literally can't have the ball in the quarterback's hands for two or three seconds for more than that, you probably should be getting the ball out of his hands quicker. But what do I know? I'm just, I'm just (laughs) some guy doing a podcast in Medford, Oregon. Yeah. Right. Well, what stood out to me and, and this gets to our idea of, Mm -hmm. of you look at the best conference in college football and there's there's something more right behind the veneer, behind the fine bomb Bama love, sure, and behind uh, how a great Auburn is, how great Georgia is. Florida's the number eight team in the country, right? And they gifted that game to Miami. Yeah, they threw awful interceptions. Yes, no receiver in sight, and just got rid of the football. They committed horrific penalties. I mean, under no circumstances on fourth and long, right, right, third and twenty-four or fourth and twenty, whatever that was in the end there, under no circumstances do you commit a penalty there. Right. That is that's football one oh one. Right. Your your coach is screaming at the five year olds out there to not do that. Right. I mean you should, And these are college kids. Yeah, they're call yeah, and it was funny because uh, on the uh, pass interference that was a stupid pass you know, it shows Mullen and he's standing there talking to the D B that just what the f- are you doing? Right. I mean, like, seriously, what were you doing? What right. were you thinking? You know, it's just, I get it. They're college kids. They make mistakes. It's first game of the year. It was it was in Orlando, so it was technically a road game for both teams. Uh, you know, whatever. It, you know, it, again, going back, the, the Pac-12 has a media hype train problem that the SEC does not have. And right now, probably the best conference in football is the Big Ten this year, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. Maybe not maybe not top to bottom completely, but they're going to be pretty top heavy. They're going to be pretty good. So uh, we're, we're having a lot of fun here. 
but I got to get us back on track. Yeah, what, what are we talking about? Oregon we're, Auburn, man. Yeah, we're an Oregon podcast. Oregon oh. Auburn. You mentioned my favorite part of the Mario Cristobal presser this week. He talked about playing fast. Yes. Uh, paralysis by analysis yeah. and and translating the game for his team in a way that they don't have to think. Yeah. They can just play. And I thought, man, that's a really good compliment for Auburn and and what they have to do to prepare for Auburn. But I also thought you can apply that the other way. Yeah. Auburn's got a true freshman at quarterback. Andy Avalos comes in with a bag of tricks. They could really stun this kid and make him think and, and get him into some bad spots. And I I think you start a great point that uh, for me is the fact that I think Oregon can jump out to an early lead because of that. Sure, you can go back and look at what Avalos did at Boise State, but he's got a clean slate for the most part at Oregon. He's got different players. You know, they're going to do some different things. They're not going to just run what he ran at Boise State. It's going to be a little different. Like you said, that's going to confuse a uh, a young freshman quarterback making his first start. Now, Bo Nick's a great quarterback, but still, you can't replace the fact that he doesn't have any experience. Mm-hmm. And even if you go back and say, hey, we're just going to watch what Avalos did at Boise State, Boise State had success against SEC teams in the past. So clearly that different style of defense works. You know, it's one thing, like you said, one of the things Mario Cristobal was asked about was having some familiarity with Auburn from being at Alabama. And I'm sure he does. You you get that from being in conference and, and playing those teams year after year. So that's going to be one different element there. But again, here's what this comes down to. And... I think Oregon has spent more time on this than they've ever done before is game prep, getting in there and watching film. I know that there was days during spring, there was days during summer. And of course, during fall where this uh, coaching staff and these players had already begun game preparation for the season Wow! on all opponents, not wow. just Auburn, not just a couple on all opponents. So I know that's something that, Alabama does and has always done. Now, they have a much bigger uh, staff, obviously, support staff, and they're able to do things a little bit differently. But I know that that's, you know, that's why Mario Cristobal in Oregon has expanded and hired analysts and, and, you know, all these different positions to help support the assistant coaches, the coordinators, and the players. Um, you know, so that's going to be one thing where it, maybe it works in reverse. You know, if, if Oregon is better prepared, they don't have to slow down. You know what I mean? They're going to instantly get up to the line of scrimmage, see a formation, and say, look, the numbers tell us that 65% of the time they're going to run this play. Mm-hmm. Be ready. You know, so um, that's something that, uh, you know, that's going to be a key. The second biggest key for me is not just how much they prepared. Obviously, we need to see how Oregon plays on the road this year, and it wasn't a great year for that last year. It hasn't been, a, uh, it hasn't been great in the last few years. But this is an older team now. We've kind of we we haven't gone full tilt to an, a veteran team, but we are much closer. If you're looking at a meter, much closer to a veteran team than a younger team, which is what Oregon's been the last couple of years. You've got some seniors that have returned. You know Herbert, offensive line. You know Die, uh, Thomas Graham, Diamador, Lenore. They're back and have played a full season as starters. You got Javon Holland in his second year that Yogi talked about earlier. That's probably just going to be a, a machine back I'm there. I'm so excited for him. <laughs> he's going to be a stud. Turnovers, man. And he's returning kicks too, or, or punts, excuse me. He's returning punts. Are you sure? Yeah. I, I saw him, and there's a, a two, two way battle there. He's, he's a, him. He's an or. An or. Yeah, he's yeah. an or. Yeah. 
he's he's on the boat. Or is pretty flexible on that depth chart. Yeah, but I mean, just it speaks to you know his his leadership, his poise. That you know, punt return is a big responsibility. You're putting somebody back there that a can catch the ball and b makes good decisions because that's a game changing play right there. That yes. in, you know, kick return, punt return, those are game changing individual plays right there that you know can change the 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 you know, field of scrimmage 40, 50 yards. So, uh, anyways, yeah, all those things. Oregon's a little bit older now, um, but damn, Auburn's good. You know, they recruit well every year. Uh, you know, they've got skill all across. They're, they're going to have length. We know about the defensive line. Um, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. Saturday, four thirty. Let's go. So, uh, other note there, you just jumped right into it. I did. I I saw that you posted the two deep on Scoop uh, Scoop Duck yesterday. Yeah. Or. Is a pretty flexible player. Yeah. I saw a lot of or lot on of that or. depth chart. A lot of or, yeah. Might need to just give that player a number or. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I think it, it speaks to something that we've talked about in the podcast before. You know, there's, there's a lot of flexibility in this defense. There seem to be a lot more of the ors on defense than on offense, and I'm just going off recollection. But, you, you okay, you don't see a guy like DJ Johnson or Kayvon Thibodeau at a pure starter spot mm-hmm. not which, yet not yet which is fine it's not an indictment i think it's a matter of look we're you know as oregon we're going to have three or four different looks defensively and we're going to utilize that with our personnel and, and this is the first time they've been able to do that you heard uh yogi earlier talk about man i remember oregon was plugging in you know juco's and walk-on guys at linebacker because they didn't have anybody else that's not the case this year no you have dudes that when you plug them in have tremendous skill and do something different than the guy they replaced utilize if you if you're a smart coordinator you're going to utilize that and i think andy avalos sees that you know bryson young is a different player than dj johnson dj johnson's a different player than Kayvon thibodeau they're all three great players that do things differently so plug them in and just let them go i mean you're going to put thibodeau out there in third and 15 situations and say young man go you know, that's going to be what you're going to do. Pin your ears back and kill. Go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, you know, don't worry about the goal, ball going behind you. Just go. Um, you know, you, you probably wouldn't do that with a Bryson Young or a DJ Johnson because DJ is, you know, up in the 270s. You know, he's a bigger guy. Bryson Young's kind of the in-between. You know, he's in that 255 range, I think. So he could probably still run and move pretty well, but he's big enough where you're not going to get, you know, cleared out of the way. So, mm-hmm. again, I, I think what we saw was – the fact that Mario Cristobal wants to co- create a competitive environment. And really the only way to do that is to, is you kind of dangle the carrot out there just a little bit. Hey, look, you're in, you know, it's, it's an, or it's still up in the air. Right. Or, you know what I mean? It's like, keep going. You can close that gap. And I think that's a good point. You know, the carrot on a stick, not only is it an incentive for the young guys, uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, Mace Funa. Yeah. I mean, we're talking true freshmen yeah. that break the two deep depth chart. That's amazing. Right. At any school, at any program, I don't care how good or bad you are. That's amazing. It's a carrot on a stick for those kids to work hard and get better. And it's a carrot on the stick for every high school player right. that is getting that letter in the mail with the nice yellow O on it and a picture of the facilities and a letter from Mario and now they get to see, hey, if I go here, mm-hmm. I'm not just going to be stuck in a drawer for three years. Right. I have a shot, and and I can compete, and I can win a job here. Yeah, there's definitely a growing trend of of you know true freshmen, 
or even freshmen for that matter, redshirt uh, freshmen, you know, wanting to play early. And that's a huge selling point in recruiting, not just for Oregon. You see Washington promoting how many true freshmen they have on their depth chart. Uh, you know, UCLA, USC, everybody's gonna, going to do it and does it more and more every year. So, you know, I think it's a tremendous help in recruiting. Uh, and then it works, you know, threefold. Even then, you've got the junior or the senior that's the starter. And it's like, bro, this guy's right on your heels. Don't let up. You know, you're going to get passed up. You know, you, you've got to continue to push those senior guys to get better and do better and lead by example. And so, you know, that carrot works a number of ways there, uh, you know, for, for Mario Cristobal or, or whoever the head coach is at any program. Um, there wasn't a lot of, of surprises on the depth chart release yesterday at all. Um, you know, I think we knew at receiver, given the injuries, it was going to be Johnson and Johnson and Red. Um, you know, that was that was uh, not surprising in the least. Uh, you know, Verone McKinley winning the nickel spot, not really all that surprising. I think that's a guy that's going to see a lot of snaps this year, a lot of plays this year. Hopefully he's ready um, because that's going to be a very important position. Mm-hmm. I know we talk a lot about the defensive line. I think we kind of know, the you know, uh, Graham and Lenore are kind of known quantities at this point. Holland, um, you know, it's Brady Breeze or Nick Pickett. I think both those guys will probably see – almost equal number of snaps i'm so happy for brady oh yeah yeah no i i think they'll be used situationally as well you know because i think breeze is is probably just a little bit more refined in his coverage and and reading but in terms of of wanting somebody to pin the ears back and go i think nick pickett does that really well he loves to come up and lay a hit if it's there for him um but again verone mckinley kind of becomes that ugo amati you know, that, that guy that really needs to be smart and know, you know, a pass from a run and not let anything get, you know, over top of him. That's going to be a very, very key uh, position there. Um, offensive line is strong. You know, we knew that coming in. Just like to see Cam, Cam McCormick healthy and out there. That, yeah. would, that would be big for Oregon. Yeah. Micah Pittman, too. I yeah. Mean, if, well, yeah. If I had to pinpoint one concern in this game, uh, I, I had a guest on my show yesterday say, that they heard from from all their sources, Micah was the best receiver in Ducks camp, and that really bums me out because they're not going to have him. Yeah, I think he was the most consistent. Uh, you know, he had some really big plays, and I think he was most consistent with his hands. I know Jawan Johnson had some some like plays where you're just going to go. Only he can make that. You know what I mean? Just some of those, maybe not quite the consistency of a Pittman. So I think overall, you saw that the receiver group was elevated, was improved from last year to this year. But, you know, you take out Schooler, Pittman, and Jerron Waters out of the mix, and it definitely waters it back down. That's, I mean, honestly, that's the key. If Oregon cannot move the ball through the air this weekend like they had, like they struggled with last year, that's, that's going to be a problem. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to run through Auburn for 350 yards without the presence of you know of of the pass game mm-hmm. i mean it's that simple yeah no passing game i think that that's going to be the uh, the big concern for both teams auburn oh, yeah. with a true freshman and the ducks have a, a great guy under center but nobody to throw to right and it so then at that point you're going to say all right which one of these coordinators is going to make the necessary adjustments you know if you don't have tremendous deep ball receivers and if you go out there and you start lobbing them 15 yards or farther you know for passes you're going to be in trouble. So, you know, if you're Marcus Arroyo, obviously you're going to want to dial up some plays that 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 work with the chemistry that 
give Herbert some confidence in his receivers. I think that's going to be a big part. Try and get two, three, four early completions out there, um, you know, and kind of get things moving and get get everybody's confidence up. That's going to be tremendously key for this game. And then at the end of the day, I think what's going to be a big part of this, and I, I know it's a big part of every game, but in this one alone is I think the halftime adjustments. Both teams are going to come out, and Oregon's going to figure out you know, what Auburn's trying to do offensively and what Bo Nix is capable capable of. Auburn's going to see what Oregon's kind of doing defensively. You know, what happens when those coaches go in the locker room regardless of score and come back out? going to be a really, really, really big part of this game. I can't wait. No. I can't wait. No, it's it's time. I mean, we're you know, here we are. We're recording a day earlier. It's Tuesday. So we've got that going on for us. But I'm, I mean, just... I'm ready for the game. You mentioned halftime adjustments, and let's go there because all my bullet points have, have been tackled on <laughs> receiver depth and the depth chart right. and and what Mario said about Auburn and their strengths. But um, let's say it's halftime, mm-hmm. touchdown game, and the Ducks need to make an adjustment. Do you have a coach in mind? Who is the guy that is leading that change to get Oregon better in the second half, uh, it's uh, what I believe will happen is this. Defensively, I think Andy Avalos is smart enough to know what adjustments he'll need to make, and I also think that the defense is versatile enough that even should Auburn make a halftime adjustment, I think they'll be able to adjust on the fly a little bit defensively. It's really going to be Marcus Royal. I got a feeling. Oregon will be relatively conservative offensively in the first half. Right. Run the ball a lot, short passing game, try and keep everything in range, you know, not get into third and long, second and long situations. I just think that's a staple of the offense regardless. The big key for me will be Marcus Arroyo and Mario Cristobal, for that matter, going in at halftime and identifying, hey, we got to open things up a little bit, stretch the field vertically, you know, because at some point Auburn's just going to start creeping corners and safeties into the box and you're not going to run you're not going to run against a, a, a nine or ten man box of, of auburn not consistently no you're just going to start wearing down your own team um and let's face it my message board is going to start melting down so <laughs> i need that from marcus arroyo you know but no i mean i think that's the biggest adjustment that'll have to be made if oregon does struggle in the first half offensively you know at least in the passing game they're going to have to figure out something at halftime and really open things up. I just don't think I don't think you can win the game unless you can do that. Right. No, I, I think, to me, this is the kind of game where, and we'll get into lock it in a little bit later, this is the kind of game where you lean on, you have an experienced quarterback yeah. who should know his offense, should know the defense he's facing, and, and be very efficient with the ball. Yeah. No turnovers. You have a running back that knows his offense and his offensive line leading the way for him. You have an offensive line that might be the best line in football. Yeah. And you can smash it up the middle all game, establish the run, and then third quarter, first down and 10, ball on the 25, that's where you you dig into the bag of tricks, go play action, go deep, and change the game. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, I think as good as Auburn's defensive line is, and they are going to be good, I think Oregon's offensive line will have enough chemistry, and they are talented enough to at least delay them enough that Herbert has a fairly clean pocket, 
70% of the time, you know, and you think, oh man, you want it clean. Well, yeah, you want it clean every time. That's not how it works, especially yep. against, you know, so I think Oregon's going to have a good chance of at least, because here's the thing, when you draw up an offensive play, you know, it schematically, it's supposed to work every time, you know, and usually it doesn't because mm-hmm. of two things. A, somebody missed an assignment somewhere in your offense, you know, or B, your quarterback didn't have time to execute the play. So I think Oregon can have success on that you know, enough understanding that there will be pressure coming. So either Herbert has to identify, I need to step up in the pocket, you know, or he needs to be able to get out of the pocket and, and throw on the run, which he can do. Um, and again, at some point, Auburn might figure out if Oregon can't stretch the ball vertically, Hey, we need to come up, come up. Safeties are coming up. Corners are coming up. And that's what Michigan state did, uh, you know, last year in the red box bowl, they kept creeping up, creeping up, creeping up. You know, Oregon was fortunate enough to to have the narrow victory there. Um, that's not going to get it done against Auburn. Oh God, I hope not. Yeah, no. I I don't want to see that game again. And if it does happen, I'm shutting my message board down. <laughs> it's like just so you scoop duggers know. R.I.P. You know, scoop duck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if it's a if it's a if it's a ten six loss for Oregon, I'm I'm shutting down the board just so we're clear. <laughs> oh my goodness, that that was such an ugly game. But uh, yeah. Oregon Auburn on Saturday. I, yep. I can't wait for that. Uh, five games as well. How do you yes. feel on the Ducks? How do you how do you feel on the Ducks? Anything else you want to hit on before we move to the five games? No, no. I, I you know like I said, if, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I've had just a, a a year of emotions. It's like okay, Oregon's looking good. Herbert came back. Die came back. All the offensive line stayed. Oregon added Juwan Johnson. Micah Pittman came to town. Cool, cool, cool. Everything's going good. Oh, crap. Pittman's down. Schooler's down. <laughs> okay, man. Maybe, you know, Auburn's going to start a true freshman, but he was a five-star. It's just, you know, first game jitters. You go and you watch Florida and Miami, and you, you know, and, and I didn't think either of those teams were especially good, but no. at, at, the, at the end of the day, you also say that was the first game for both of them. They were rusty. Oregon's going to be rusty uh, as well. You know, will Auburn, I imagine there will be some rust there. You know, new quarterback. Um this one's just going to be a close game, I think, in the end. I know there are some that think Oregon can blow them out. I don't think Auburn will blow out Oregon in the end. I certainly hope they don't. But I do believe that this very much has the make. So I'm going to prelude my pick of the week, but I think this this game, and you'll hear why later why I feel this way, I think this game very much stays very close throughout the whole entire game you know, maybe touchdown 10 point lead at different times, but that's also manageable for either team to get yes. back. So uh, again, this might be one of those last possession wins kind of games. Does it come down to the kicking game? Oh God, let's hope let's not even, I mean, we didn't even talk about that. The three kickers on the depth <laughs> could, chart could yeah. be one of Oregon's three kickers oh kicking goodness. a game winning field goal. Uh, my favorite. Qu- <laughs> so, so I gave you my favorite answer from the presser the other day. My favorite question uh, I think it was Oregonian, James Crepia. He asked Mario, are you going to use three kickers in the Auburn right, game? Right. Like, what? Like, and, and Mario had a laugh at it, but like, wouldn't that be something? Right. Yeah. Have we ever seen anyone do that? Right. A, a kicking competition through a game. In a game. Yeah, in a game. <laughs> okay, you're up first. Good luck. That was great. That was great. I, I laughed. I don't know about you. Yeah, um, interesting. Yeah. All right, man. I, I'm with you, and I'm, I'm pretty positive. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Lock mm-hmm. it in on the way. Five games. Five games. Five games. 
All right, five games. I picked five. You picked five. Uh, I'll go first. I have Houston, Oklahoma. I almost listened to that one, and I didn't. Okay. Yeah, I was close. That's the Sunday nighter, I think. Yes. Yeah. I, I see why you picked it. Obviously, you want to see uh, Jalen Hurd at Oklahoma and how they kind of respond there. Um, you know, Houston's always – you know, pretty fun offensively. New coach, yeah. New Dana. coach. Can they get it? You know, you know that that's definitely an interesting one. Uh, Oklahoma ha- had a lot of questions defensively, even though they had you know have Alex Grinch down there, defensive coordinator. Um, so it'll be interesting to see you know if that's fixed and just how good you know Jalen runs that offense for Oklahoma. Definitely a game, definitely a game to watch, no mm- doubt. Uh, my second one, and I I wanted to make this my number one, but I think that it could be a blowout loss. I just love the upset potential. Boise State and do something you. Man, I didn't even put that on my radar. Interesting. Yeah. Boise State, man. man. Against Willie Taggart. So you, what you really need is uh, you, need, you need Boise State to win because if, if, if for any reason they don't and they have a tough season, I could see them coming after Avalos, I guess, if you're an Oregon fan. Right. That's the only thing I can say there. Right. Yeah. So you're you're rooting. <laughs> you're, yeah. Actually, no. This would be this would be just in line with Oregon fan. You'd be rooting against Willie Taggart, right? So that you don't lose Andy Avalos. Exactly. Okay. It's a double win if you're Oregon. Yeah. If Boise State wins, Man. although Oregon fans really aren't. How do you think Willie's going to do year two? Badly. Yeah. I do. I, I, just, I think so too. I, do. I think that's a dumpster fire. And it's not even like bad will towards Willie. It's just. I just think they their offensive line is abysmal, and they didn't recruit out of it. Uh, we saw the lack of discipline at Oregon. It's clearly followed him at Florida State. I, I just think they're in trouble. We, the wheels are – you see a car, and the wheels are, like, flopping all around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's him going down the highway at 80 right now. Uh, game three could be bad, could be boring, but – it's one of the few cross matchups of Power Five schools, Stanford Northwestern. I got that one too. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, I, 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 Stanford for whatever reason always struggles out out the gate. I don't know why, but that's that's a tremendous Saturday game. Uh, it's at one o'clock on Fox, so you can catch it just before the Duck game. Okay. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think Stanford wins, but I think it's one of those narrow, ugly wins. Yeah, and then. Um, I had to pick Notre Dame, Louisville. I want to see my Golden Domers, but again, going up against a Louisville team that there's a lot of new, a lot of change. Right. We don't know what we're going to see there. Yeah, that's a uh, that's a that's the Monday night game. So there's no NFL, but we got you know Notre Dame at Louisville. That's also a game I picked uh, Monday night, five o'clock on ESPN. Um, I don't think Notre Dame loses that one, but I'm definitely not all in on Notre Dame this year. I never am. I always feel like they're overhyped every year. Yeah. They're going to be good. Well, this of course, year, they're overhyped every year. They I are, mean, yeah. it, I said earlier, you know, the expectations are different at a program like USC. Notre Dame is the same way. Yes, and it's just because you have a a truly national fan base. Yeah, and I blame it on Rudy. Uh, it's not just. I mean, Rudy's <laughs> a factor. Yeah, Rudy. Yeah. Uh, the the spitting crazy Lou Holtz, I think, is another oh, factor. Man. Yeah. Um, Love me some Lou Holtz. There's a, there's a lot there. There's yeah. a lot to unpack. There's a lot. Uh, last game, and this could be bad. This is another one. This is like Boise State, Florida State. Could be bad. Mm-hmm. Could be an upset. Okay. LSU, Georgia Southern. Oh, that's not what I was. Okay. I thought you were going to prelude one of mine, but uh, 
I love that Georgia Southern offense. Uh, I do. Give me the option. Yeah. Run it down their throats, and and maybe just maybe we have an App State Michigan situation. And a lot of people don't realize this. They've recruited actually really well in the last few years, and just kind of quietly built up. Similar to a JUCO. I mean, they've really gone after a lot of, uh, of bigger name guys that weren't able to get in at other schools, and Georgia Southern was able to get them in. Um, so almost like a last chance you, if you will. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love me some Ed O, and I know it was a better year last year, but. <laughs> I forgot about Ed O. He, it's a wild card. Yeah, I, I don't. I think, I think LSU wins. I think it's closer than it needs to be once again, though. Doesn't he sound like the. The, the farmer coach, the Cajun coach on oh, the water boy. Oh, absolutely. 100%. It's like a dead ringer for it, the dude in the water boy. It is. It's hilarious. It's awesome. Ed O is awesome. I, you know, I think I'm surprised he's still employed at LSU, but I, and he's, I mean, he's done a great job. I mean, he's, he's done a better than expected job, I guess, if you will. So what were your um, five games? So my five, you took two. So uh, Northwestern and Stanford was one of mine. Notre Dame at Louisville was one of mine. So my other three, and I'll start with this one. I, I, when you were mentioning upset, Okay, I had I, I thought for sure he, wow he picked it, and I was thinking Fresno State at USC. Mmm, that's gonna be fun. I mean, mm. dude, Tedford killed it last year. Valley, yeah, he killed it last year. Yeah, um, if there's anybody who can prepare for an air raid offense, it's gonna be somebody like Tedford. Now I know he's not the defensive coordinator, but he's at least seen enough that it's not going to be completely foreign to them. The scout team is pretty prepared. Yeah, that I, that's my feeling. Now, they are heavily outmatched, no question. I mean, USC is loaded at, at every position. But you also have to remember the mitigating factor. Clay Helton's still the head coach at USC, so <laughs> we'll see. That's that's Saturday at 7.30. On the, that, that game follows Oregon and Auburn. So you've got that as your potential upset, or you, is that an upset? N- uh, potential upset. Okay. It's still way too much talent on USC to lose that one. All right. I mean, I don't know. Who knows? I just uh, – the hard part is I trust Yogi, and he's pumping up USC from what he's seeing. And if USC has cleaned it up from a discipline standpoint and the way they practice and some of these other things, they could be the team that we expect them to be, Right. I guess. But What, what are your friends – I know you got friends at USC – what are, you, what are your beat writer friends telling you? Well, I mean, they never, you know, it's but just, you can reveal. To no, your, it's, to it's the same. It's, honestly, here, it's easy. It's the same at every school across the country. Everybody's optimistic when the season starts. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. Until your team gets punched in the mouth by whoever, everybody, you know, we got, you, know you, you start making, you know, excuses or reasons why you struggled last year and why you'll be better this year. It's human nature. It's just the way this machine works, you know, so... USC, you pick the school, insert school, you know, Georgia, everybody. This is why we suck, lost or sucked last year. This is why we're going to be better. Uh, you know, again, my the, the thing I keep coming back to is, you know, is Clay Helton the Willie Taggart of the West? I don't know. That's a good moniker. I know. You don't want that you moniker. You don't want that I moniker. Like that idea. Yeah. Uh, what's your next game? Uh, so my mine, I, I was Pac-12 heavy this year or this week, um, just because there was not much in the top 25 other than Oregon Auburn uh, in that matchup. Uh, UCLA at Cincinnati, uh, Thursday game four o'clock on ESPN. Nice to have a Thursday game first and foremost. Secondly, what's Chip Kelly doing in year two? Right. They got better towards the end of last year. I don't think Cincinnati's good. I just want to see the measuring stick of where UCLA's at. You know, are they? Are they? Are they? Are they better? Are they worse? Is I mean. I don't know. It's Chip Kelly. Right. I I think that's the key. Chip Kelly, you had a 
topic on Scoop Duck last week, and you had a tweet that blew up talking about it, asking fans pick five uh, ducks from the past right. and bring them onto this team and and win a title with those guys, right? And I was blown away. All of the responses, five Chip Kelly guys, oh, five yeah. Chip Kelly guys, five Chip Kelly guys. Yeah. They were all Chip Kelly guys. Right. I mean, you know, Oregon, Oregon is not deep at receiver right now. So wouldn't you love to have a guy like DeAnthony Thomas back or Josh Huff back? And then you go and look, you know, a couple of the best defensive linemen to come through Oregon of late were in that era. Eric Armstead, DeForest Buckner, no-brainers. I mean, yeah, there was just so many guys. It's like, oh, man, yeah, plug and play right here. The I mean, greatest running backs in Oregon history. Yeah. I mean, you know, Michael James, there's something to be said there. Kenyon Barner went down and destroyed USC for 300-plus yards one game. I mean, yeah. Even Jay Stu played a year under Chip. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many dudes. And, of course, the the, the heavy outliers were Haloti Nada, which is a no-brainer, period. And, of course, Marcus Mariota, who came – through that era you know for me i wouldn't add marcus just because i don't know that it's enough of an upgrade over herbert you know what i mean you you go and you look at the tier okay so right. maybe marcus is a tier one but herbert's like a tier one and a half i think there's other positions where you would have upgraded much higher to make this team better for me the only reason i didn't put marcus was it was too obvious yeah, right yeah. you know do you want babe ruth or mickey mantle on your team right right and i'm like well we got mantle we're yeah. good we don't need ruth yeah and and um but if if the Ducks didn't have Herbert, you oh, would have Marcus. Oh yeah, that, then then that's an instant. Yeah, I mean Marcus should be an instant no brainer. Anyways, he was he's he's the greatest player to ever come through Oregon in my my opinion. I just yes. I mean no doubt and a, and a tremendous human being and you that know. statement doesn't even need air. Right, it's everybody knows it. Yeah, but yeah, I just how dominant Chip was at Oregon. Yeah, and I know the NFL wasn't great for him. I know that. You know, he had the he had the falling out with LaShawn McCoy in yeah. Philly and Mike Vick got hurt and things just didn't work the way he wanted it to there. But I still believe that there is a, a kernel of potential for that dominant stud Chip Kelly to come to L.A. and, and build a, a contender in Westwood. Totally agree. In my opinion, Chip's personality and his way of coaching clashes heavily with pampered high million dollar NFL entitled athletes. You cannot coach them the same way from a psychological standpoint as you can a college kid. Mm -hmm. And I don't think chip identified that very well. He, you know, chips biggest, biggest knock right now is the fact that he just doesn't change. He really doesn't. And that's fine. When you're successful, you really don't want to his men. He can do what he does from a psychological standpoint and how he leads and how he coaches with college kids. He can do that, and it, and it works. It doesn't work in the NFL. You had two egomaniacs just butting heads at each other. It just it didn't work. So I, I think he can do that. The biggest thing he has to change at UCLA to get there is recruiting. He has got to change the way he recruits. He has got to get you know uh, more intense about it. He's, if he doesn't change that, he's always going to be limited. He could be really good. He could win eight, nine, ten games, stay in the upper echelon of the Pac-12 South, compete with USC, you know, here and there. But if he wants to be with the big boys, he's going to have to change his recruiting tactics, in my opinion. Okay, so basketball bowl, UCLA, Cincinnati. Yep. Uh, what's your next game? Uh, it was once again. I'm sticking with the Pac-12, but it was uh, Utah BYU. Ooh. 
And not that I don't I think thought about that one. Well, and it's I not about that. It's not that I don't think Utah can't win. I believe they will. I just want to see how good they are. I mean, are they that you know? Are right. they for real? You know, and and so for me, you know, the way mine broke down is you had so I, I mean I love Thursday night games. I mean, I love Thursday night football. So you had UCLA at Cincinnati Thursday at 4 on ESPN. The next game up Thursday at 7.15 is Utah at BYU. So you got an all Pac-12 night on Thursday if you go out and have. So Thursday is really what we call Friday Eve, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you go out and have a couple of beers. I like that. The, yeah, it's Friday Eve. Where, where are you going to be Thursday night watching these games? I can't say that because then everybody will be all the there. groupies? No, well, they, they don't live down here, so we're safe. I don't know. Maybe Porter's. Um, I'm not sure. I'll go somewhere and, and sit there and have a – well, yeah, Porter's is great if you go for the happy hour. I mean, it's a really nice restaurant. They have some expensive The, the most steaks. expensive place in the Rogue Valley, yes. for those who don't know. But it's much like Henry's on 12th in Portland, where you go into their bar area. Oh. And they have, you know, plates that you can get for 6 to $10. Um, you know, their happy hour menu's cheap. They have good beer selection, and it's a nice place, a really nice place. Oh, man. I need to go back to Henry's. I almost never go there. I love Henry's. Like, like once or twice a year, if yeah. I'm up there, like um, Civil War two years ago, the, the Raincoats game. Yeah. Civil War two years ago, I'm at Henry's, and I just forget how perfect that bar is because Jumbotron and TVs everywhere and like 60 goddamn taps. Yep, and ice ring around the bar, gorgonzola cheese fries. It's it's heaven. Yeah, Henry's is heaven. They don't pay us to say that. No. Uh, uh, Porter's was actually, like the design of it was actually modeled after Henry's. It was the same guy that had designed Henry's and st- so yeah that's, I didn't know that that's why it's very yeah wow it, it pays to know people anyways that's my f- five games Utah Cincinnati Utah BYU are Thursday night games you've got Northwestern at Stanford which is Saturday at one so if you don't go to Dallas to watch Oregon Auburn you can watch that on Fox then you got the duck game Saturday at 4 30 after that you've got Fresno State at USC at 7 30 Saturday and then Notre Dame at Louisville on Monday the only one I didn't put in was Sunday's game, Houston at Oklahoma. Hook it in my veins, man. Yeah. College football. I got I got this weekend mapped wow. out. I'm ready. It's That's like beautiful. you know, it's the, you know. I was so bummed last weekend because I I wanted to watch the Florida Miami game. Yeah. I wanted to watch Arizona Hawaii, and that was it. Yeah. That was all I got to watch. Yeah. Right. Which is nothing else. Yeah. So that we I did my fantasy football draft, uh, you know, this weekend. And we had the the Florida. Uh, Miami game on during the draft, so the TV was there and it's you know kind of watching the board and and but yeah, Andrew uh, Luck, Lamar Miller, first two rounds. Uh, yeah, Andrew Luck. So <laughs> you know I wrote about this, but yeah, that uh, we're watching the game. Obviously, it's it was ESPN, and uh, anyways, big red thing. Andrew Luck retires, and you know Schefter's reporting Andrew Luck retires, and then everybody immediately pans over to the the draft board because we put our stickers up and everything. It's a it's. It's old school. Oh, I love those. And it's like, um, okay, Andrew Luck. Oh, the, ha ha, you took Andrew Luck. Because we were like in round eight or nine or whatever, and somebody taking him in five or six, or I don't remember. But right. I mean, immediately it comes up. It's like, oh, shit, who took Andrew Luck? Look over at the board, and then everybody points at my buddy Grant, like, ah, you took Luck. And then the next thing, in like seconds later, was like, oh, who took T.Y. Hilton? Oh, second round. Ha! So, yeah. I love it. Yeah, it was, I love it. Yeah, there was way we there was a lot more words than what I put in there. Trust me. Yeah, so it's fun. Twelve, <laughs> 12 assholes in a, in a room that drinking and drafting. Uh, sounds like fantasy football. It in was. It was. It was. Uh, lock it in. Oh yeah, it's back. You still have the uh, the sound for that one. I do. Sweet. We man, it's like, let's man. cue that up. 
What's your lock this week? Okay, so lock of the week. I know we've got the Oregon-Auburn game, and everybody would like for lock of the week for me to say Oregon's going to win the game. I'm not going to do that because I feel like I would just be setting myself up for failure. Well, you already did, though. Right, I know. So that's fine. That's why you don't have to say it is because you've already hinted. Right. You think the Ducks win this game? I, I think they're going to kick. They're going to one of the three kickers is going to make a game-winning field goal. <laughs> <laughs> the lock of the week should be which one it's going to be, right? No, no, this is the this is the <laughs> loosest pot you've ever done. I love this. Yeah, so one of the three kickers is going to win the game on a game-winning field goal. Uh, for me, lock of the week is Oregon will have uh, Oregon will. Uh, so I was pre- preluding to this earlier. Oregon's going to stay in this game. Because I believe Oregon's defense will have three turnovers in this game. Oregon's defense will force three turnovers in this game. My sub pick of the week out of that is Javon Holland will have at least one one of those as an interception. So that's my lock and sub lock of the week. Three turnovers by this Oregon defense in game one, whether it be fumble recovery, interception, whatever, uh, They'll have three, and my sub pick, just to take it a step further, is that Javon Holland will be at least one of them with a pick. I love that. I love that angle um, because I'm with you. I feel way more confident about this Oregon defense than I do the Oregon offense, and and that could be Avalos versus Arroyo. That could be the the depth in the back seven versus the or, uh, duck receiving core. I just feel way more confident about their defense as opposed to the offense. My lock is five sacks. Wow. And Justin Herbert is clean on the other side. Wow. I, I think the difference in this game is the trenches. Oregon's got the best offensive line in the country, mm-hmm. and they are loaded on the D-line. So you're saying loaded. five and oh. It'll be five and zero oh, yes. sacks. Sacks. Yes. So Auburn's gonna get sacked five. Oregon won't give up. Surrender a sack. True freshman. Yeah. Like I, I picture this. How many times is Oregon going to show cover two? That means two deep safeties at yeah. the back of the screen and back out of it. Right. And you see Brady Breeze fly past the line of scrimmage on a blitz uncovered. Right. How many times is Oregon going to show man to man from their corners on the outside? back out of it and suddenly Kayvon Thibodeau backs out into his own yeah. and Mace Funa or or somebody is flying in from the linebacking core untouched sack right that true freshman quarterback he might not be able to tell the difference between his playbook and his syllabus right now I think it's going to be a real challenge for for Auburn with him under center in Dallas and I, what I like and to take to, to, to take I don't want to take your lock of the week, but the reason I could see it is as much attention as Auburn's going to need to pay to Jordan Scott. And let's just say they fat Mac, right? Let's just say, so here, let's just say that they either need to identify that they need to pay attention to Gus Cumberlander on the right side or Austin Foley out on the left side. You kind of have to pick one. You can't cover all three the same, you know, equally unless one of those guys on the side of, of Fat Max is going to eat. I think it's going to be Austin. But then you add in the wild card that is Bryson Young. You've got to account for him as well as that stud spot. So to lend merit to what you're saying, you got four guys, and we haven't even counted Kayvon Thibodeau when he gets out there in situations. It's amazing to me that we, we even talk about him. Hasn't played a college football right. game yet. 
and he's talked about like he's the best player on this defense. And we haven't even talked about DJ Johnson either. You've oh, you've man. got six guys that potentially when they're out on the field, your offensive line has to account for not only where they are, yes, but what they're doing. Head coach's nightmare. Right. And so Andy Avalos is the king of showing you one thing and doing another thing. His is like I said before, his defense is fairly simple. It's not all these complicated things. It's literally just confusing you on what they're trying to do, mm-hmm. which is great. Which is great. I mean, at the end of the day, simple is better. Right. So, good picks. I like those locks of the weeks, though. Yeah. Both of them. Both, well, and both of them are relatively defensive minded. We we had to get in a happier mood because if I start thinking about this offense, I. Well, and that's so you know as I was saying earlier, I, I felt that this Oregon Auburn game would be close. And my reason is I think the defense will keep it close. Right. They will keep it within striking range for Oregon at, at any time. They might fall behind by 7 or 10 points, and maybe the Ducks can kick their way back into it, being a three-point game or something to that effect. Uh, you know, maybe pound in a touchdown or something. Um, who knows? Maybe this defense will even chip in with some points of their own. Right. A little scoop and score or a pick six to the house. I don't know. I, I just think, I think we'll see something out of a very confusing defense and a freshman making his first start in a big environment. All right. So Ducks-Auburn, wrap up with a a score if we can. Oh, man. You want to make a score prediction? Are you writing a piece about that later this week? No, no. Let's do it. I can do it. Yeah, I don't care. My feeling is is there's a – I'm making a a gesture with my hand here. There's this big of a group of people that listen to podcasts – and then there's big this big of a group that will you know click on and read a story. So you're not or, afraid yeah. of tipping your hand. Oh no, no, not at all. But the only problem is I have to remember what I said today <laughs> on Thursday or Friday when I write it out. So yeah, I'll have to come back and listen to the podcast. Okay. I don't. Do you ever listen to podcasts? I don't ever listen to them just because I don't. I don't listen to this one. No. Just some, sometimes when we have a really good guest on, I'll go back and listen to what they said. Right. Like I did that yeah. with Mike Bellotti a couple weeks back, yeah. and then uh, Mario and Kelly when we yeah. had them, I was like, I gotta listen to this. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I, I listen to podcasts. Yeah, no, I listen to some. I just don't listen to mine. Everybody's like, "Do you listen to your podcast?" I'm like, "No, I'm sitting there recording it. Why would I want to listen to it?" Right. And but then I forget every once in a while. I'll, you know, when I when you send it to me for me to post it up on the site, you know, I'll I'll be downloading it and it'll start auto playing, so I'll get a little bit of it, and I just. It's funny how I hear the intro and stuff that you do. You do such a good job with that stuff. It, Thanks. It just comes out well. Thanks. It really does. Yeah, I'm, I'm proud of it. Yeah. It's not two guys slapping it together on their cell phone, that's no, for sure. No, it's 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 a, it's a well-done podcast. I'm not saying it's because it's ours. It's, I mean, just from top to bottom. There's, I know you work on the sound quality and stuff a lot, on the callers, on you and I, and that's all shit that's way beyond me, so I just have to sit here and, and spout crap. It's pretty good when it. we have cell reception. <laughs> that's true, yeah. That's uh, Yogi true. would have a laugh about that one today. Yeah. Uh, I got 27-20 ducks. That's a good one. That's a good, yeah. Touchdown game. Yeah. Like you said, hey, we're not going to score a billion points out there. Right. But the defense is going to do enough. Yeah. And you maybe get a pick six. You maybe get a turnover. Yeah. You get some sacks that derail Auburn drives, get you some field position. I like 27 20 ducks. Yeah, I re- I really really like your prediction there. I think I think the amount of points you've given Oregon is fair. Like you said it, they could get 7 points by way of defense or big special teams or, you know, something along those lines. Um, which means that you're really only counting on the offense to put up 20 points, which is totally fair. Uh, hopefully they can do better than that, but you know, at least it's realistic. Um, yeah, I, 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 I got to be honest, I I'm at 31 24. And, you know, again, 
I don't think Oregon will score into the 40s. Um, you know, I, I'm not even sure. You know, I, I think I'm pretty aggressive in my scoring to where I have it. Um, but on the same same time, I think I believe that we will see a defense from Oregon that does a ton of bend but don't break, which means, you know, Auburn's going to move the ball. They're going to have a lot of yards. They're going to maybe – not maybe. They will probably win the time of possession – but they'll end up kicking a lot of field goals, which is going to be the huge difference in this game. They'll be forced to kick, keeping Oregon in the game. And, you know, like I said, Oregon gets a late kick at the end, maybe a big scoop and score defensive play. I don't know. Um, that's where I'm at. All right. Okay. Ducks win? Ducks. Yeah, either way, one the Ducks win, right? Scoreboard doesn't matter, just as long as you got one more point than the other guy. 1-0 and oh and getting ready for Montana and – some of the very difficult <laughs> right. I can't even say it no right, right. some of the powder puffs that yeah. you play the you rest need, of the but month. you need them you need them because you got a tough road schedule all year if Oregon gets a couple layups at the beginning after a really really difficult Auburn game I you know I don't really have much problem with that and then you walk into you know a week one conference game with Stanford that's going to be a tough game mm-hmm but you'll feel a lot better about that game if Oregon beats Auburn, right? No, no doubt. So anything else that you want to hit on before we wrap it? Uh, nope, just that it's lunchtime. All right, man. Let's get some grub, kick back, uh, clean your man caves, get ready. Saturday, Oregon-Auburn. College game day is going to be in Jerry World. You can see the game on national TV. And go Ducks, everybody. Thanks for listening. I can do this now.